This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. अंग्रेज अपना लगान और न्यूज लॉन्ड्री अपना हफ्ता कभी नहीं छोड़ते वेलकम टू एपिसोड 373 ऑफ न्यूज लॉन्ड्री हफ्ता आई एम योर होस्ट अभिनंदन सेखरी जॉइनिंग मी ऑन द पैनल टुडे आर माय कॉलीग्स नाइदर ऑफ हुम आर इन अ वंडरफुल न्यू स्टूडियो एंड इन केस माय वॉइस साउंड्स रिच इट इज नॉट बिकॉज आई हैव बीन डूइंग रियाज एवरी डे इट इज बिकॉज वी हैव गॉट दीज न्यू माइक्स विद दिस दिस लॉन्ग थिंग व्हाट्स दिस कॉल्ड प्रीएम्प इट्स कॉल्ड अ प्रीएम्प Pre-amplifiers plugged on the mic, so we sound all cooler. But because Anand sir and Raman sir aren't here, they will sound their ordinary selves. <laughs> so Raman sir is in the hills. Welcome, Raman sir. How are the hills treating you? Oh, very well. Weather is damn good. So I'm glad. Next year you'll be coming to forty degrees. So so much for that then. <laughs> yeah, I know. And Anand, yes, which true. which part of the country is Anand in? Pune. Pune. I see. Chalo. There also the weather is better. We await you with. hot winds and 40 degrees yes and and uh, we look forward to having you guys in the studio next time so that you can see yes yes, yes. next week yeah. i'll be in the studio yes next recording in the studio i will be back in delhi from sunday onwards excellent and also joining us on the phone line from london uh, is alpana kishore she'll be joining us shortly alpana has appeared on the hafta earlier she is my former boss uh, she was my boss immediate boss and uh, madhu was the super boss when i was at newstrack uh, alpana will be here talking about kashmir because kashmir has dominated headlines in the last actually more than a week 10 days it's been i mean it's even been discussed in parliament thanks to this film by vivek agnihotri and i was uh, surprised that other than one uh, particular discussion i think it was on network 18 where they had a reporter who had covered kashmir in the 80s and 90s all the commentators were people like us raman sir of course has covered kashmir because he was also the bureau chief there but it's in people like like me who have never covered kashmir but are peloing gyan so i was like if there are reporters who are out there and if legacy media won't call them for whatever reason In fact, I'm surprised Madhu hasn't been on any of those panels uh, because she was overseeing the most extensive coverage of anyone in Kashmir was done by Madhu's team, and yet I don't see her on any panel. Fascinating. But before that, a couple of announcements and the headlines. Uh, Manisha's on leave; she'll be back next week, hopefully. I will be hosting news uh, nuisance this week, so in case that puts you off, don't watch it uh, because it's not Manisha. But if you are okay tolerating my face do watch it we have a new page for subscribers some of you are still writing to podcasts at newsline.com which is fine but it would be better if you use the link below which takes you to newsline.com/podcast-letters the link is in the show notes it's just a more efficient system for you to tell us your critique your criticism and your uh, feedback and we have an newsline chat box on saturday the 26th of march i repeat saturday the 26th of march at 7 pm indian standard time uh, you can use the article link that's given below uh, this is for subscribers only if you can't make it to the chat box at that time where we have live interaction with all of you as subscribers uh, you can leave your question in the comment section of the article and we will take it during the session so the link to the article page for the chat box is in the show notes below check it out now for the headlines In March, 
Reporters Without Borders has said that India ranked 142 out of 180 countries when it comes to press freedom. It's added that the nation was classified as quote-unquote bad for journalism. The media watchdog in a report in December had said that India was among the five most dangerous nations in terms of journalists killed across the world this year. Uh, well, most of the others are war-torn places, so that gives you a bit of an idea of where India is. The Indian government, on the other hand, disagrees with the rank the country has been given on the Press Freedom League, uh, as the index gives little or no weightage to the fundamentals of democracy and bases its conclusion on small sample size. This was said by Information Broadcasting Minister Anurag Thakur. He said this in Parliament. Then the family of photojournalist Danish Siddiqui, you remember he died in Afghanistan uh, when the Taliban was taking over. The family of this very gifted photographer uh, has filed a complaint before the International Criminal Court to investigate his death and bring justice to those responsible, including leaders and high-level commanders of the Taliban. So that's an interesting case. Uh, let's see if it gets anywhere. It would be interesting to follow. Then a Delhi court has summoned Subramanian Swami in a defamation case filed by BJP leader Tajinder Pal Singh Bagga. Sir, we must cover this. This sounds interesting. Uh, this this uh, Bagga was the person uh, who slapped uh, Prashant Bhushan. Yeah, he and his guy, they had uh, barged into his office. Basically, he was hmm. this small town tutcha who'd go around, you know. Yeah, yeah. So now, of course, then BJP embraced him as a spokesperson. But now he and Subramanian Swami got into some sort of spat. So he's filed a case against Subramanian Swami. Then Akhilesh Yadav and Azam Khan have resigned from the Lok Sabha to build the Samajwadi Party's turf in Uttar Pradesh. The day after quitting Lok Sabha, Akhilesh says uh, he will take the people's struggle from Sadak to Sadak. Basically from Sadan to Sadak, sorry. From Sadan to Sadak. So he's no longer a member of parliament and he is going to focus his energy on forming a formidable opposition uh, to Yogi Adityanath's government in Uttar Pradesh. Uh, what, what do you think of this, Anand? Is this a smart move in your way, view politically? Because, well, more than what, uh, I guess, uh, Rahul is doing. What do you think? Yes, means uh, the local sentiment uh, um, is uh, very doubtful about uh, people who migrate to Delhi for national politics and still are aiming for uh, political clout in their states. So, uh, in that sense, it's good to be entrenched in state politics and so uh, better intent of uh, taking the fight to the uh, state government. So in that way, it is a, a good political messaging, uh, even if it is cosmetic, uh, it makes for a good, good political communication. Right. And much of politics is optics. Uh, then the Delhi court, a Delhi court, has granted regular bail to P. Chidambaram and his son Karti Chidambaram in the Aircel Maxis money laundering case. Meanwhile, a Delhi court has rejected the bail of Umar Khalid, the former JNU student leader, uh, in the Delhi riots case. Uh, this is one of, I mean, it boggles my mind how Umar Khalid is in jail for so long on such flimsy or no evidence. Then despite losing a seat in the Khatima constituency in the assembly election, Pushkar Singh Dhami on Wednesday took oath as the chief minister of Uttarakhand. Uh, and I will say, uh, you know, the BJP, the transitions of power or retaining chief ministers or replacing them is pretty painless. I mean, we didn't see any noises of dissent coming from the Uttarakhand that despite losing how it's being made. So there is, um, I guess, an upside to the centralization of power 
it it keeps the uh, bickering at state levels kind of down or am i being too simplistic raman sir anand you have a view on that discipline sounds all well when you were in power if congress was very powerful now you would have seen lot of dissenting voices fall in line so uh, if you are powerful if you are ruling number of states then discipline is easier to enforce uh, rather than when you are in dire straits uh also uh i think uh, the commentary has been that uh, dhami was seen as a doer and he might have lost uh, his own seat but as a doer and in last 3 4 months uh, he was seen as energizing the campaign so uh, also some demographic uh, consideration might have gone into his favor a particular section of voters uh last but the big leader means the supremo of the party we saw mamta benerji losing her own seat and is still being chief minister but then she is the party supremo uh, but here the case was different he was hand picked by the high command in delhi dhami uh, is a young leader he is in good books of uh, the rss and yes in the ever since he had taken over as cm at least i mean, I, i i do come to uttarakhand but i haven't seen uh, you know i i can't pinpoint one thing that dhami had done in the state but yes uh, every 15 minutes uh, i knew about uttarakhand through the radio uh, you know in dhami's uh, it was it was an ad mm. with dhami himself is talking uh, and eulogizing you know about uttarakhand so so and and every 10 15 minutes it was coming out uh, on all the radio channels uh, whether you are in delhi or elsewhere uh, so yes he energized in that sense and uh, uh, i think he was the he was the campaign leader he might have it doesn't matter much that he lost his seat and he lost in the i think he, he fought from the kumau area in kumau area congress has won uh, you know quite a number of seats right uh, and also th- i i think that's a good point that anand made that when you are powerful then discipline is easier to enforce i remember uh, you know in the mid 2000s um, around uh, yeah, when when i was uh, you know writing uh, basically 2003 4 that one year when atal ji was on his way out uh, and uh, two of those leaders are uh, in fact three of them are no longer alive but i remember uh, between venkaiah naidu Pramod Mahajan, Arun Jaitley, and Sushma Suraj. There was this jostling about who's going to be the number one of the second rung. Because the first mm. rung was Atal Ji and Advani. That was undisputed, and th- that battle had been won by Atal, and he was not undisputed number one. In this, and I remember there used to be so many plants coming. You know, one is planting a story against the other, and I'm sure the party leadership knew, but no one could do anything because there wasn't this kind of power. I don't think today any second level reader will try to plant stories against each other. <laughs> I think between Amit Shah and Modi, they'll just, uh, you know, everyone is completely disciplined. No, nah, it's it's just a matter of time. You know, if if Modi Modi's uh, stature declines, then the bickering will start. But of course, I mean, right now you can't even think of it. Uh, it happens. In Congress, also, I mean, the leadership, yeah. the stature has gone down. That's why that's why it's correct. Happened. 
there's no discipline now uh, the series of kashmir related headlines the former jammu and kashmir chief minister farooq abdullah uh, dubbed uh, the kashmir files a propaganda film and said the bjp is asking everyone in the country to watch the movie to make people hate us to the extreme meanwhile an is officer in madhya pradesh uh, he's run into trouble with the state government over tweets calling on the makers of the kashmir files to also produce movies on the killings of a large number of muslims across several states i find this fascinating because so many bureaucrats tweet the most hateful stuff and no action is taken against them <laughs> and uh, this guy uh, now there's acting action taken against him then finance minister nirmala sitaraman on wednesday accused country's first prime minister wahlan nehru of internationalizing the kashmir issue by taking it to the united nations so everyone is now weighing in on this basically and but i mean nehru had gone to the un to say that we do not accept uh, plebiscite so that's what the opposition is saying so i mean i just think first of all you guys must check out our graphic novel on kashmir called kashmir ki kahani it is also out now in physical form uh it was it's this it's based on the digital graphic novel that was done uh i think the year after news laundry started it is one of our first few projects it is an amazing fascinating story of the history of kashmir and we've updated it to now because at that time we finished it in 2013 or 14 whenever it was put out so uh you can write in to us and at contact at newslaundry.com uh if you want to pre-book a copy of that uh i assure you you'll like it and regarding kashmir and this entire conversation that's come up thanks to this film i hope in this podcast we'll be able to answer many questions which i haven't seen answered on any of the channels that i've watched and uh, luckily we have alpana who'll be talking to us about this then in other headlines union cabinet has cleared the bill to merge three delhi corporations uh, that is a north delhi municipal corporation east delhi municipal corporation and south delhi municipal corporation so this basically was done in 2011 and now they want to get the all three together and this is being done just on the eve of the mcd election which the aap is claiming the bjp is scared because of momentum they're certainly going to lose and now they're doing all these ploys to delay the election and gary uh, on sir no they haven't spelled the government hasn't spelled out the other features of this bill uh, which they're going to you know introduce in uh, parliament next week Right. I mean, what what we need to see whether uh, the, I mean, who is going to fund these municipal? I think the center is going to take most of its control. I don't know why, why do we even have this uh, the state government in Delhi? I don't think we require them anymore. Yeah, because I think they're making the state government as as irrelevant as possible. Yeah. In fact, uh, back when these three were in twenty eleven, when the three were separated, uh. it was done and at that time you know the political gossip was that shila dikshit uh, basically got this done and as the congress rule in the center as well because the delhi mayor had more budget and power than the chief minister <laughs> so she to to say that i should be more powerful it was trifurcated and now for the exact opposite reason the bjp wants to get together so they can mayor can be more powerful than the chief minister <laughs> then the haryana assembly on tuesday passed a bill against religious conversions amid a walk out by the congress so all this religious conversion type bills a contagion has happened and slowly we see other states also embracing embracing their versions of it then the opposition stalled the proceedings of lok sabha and rajya sabha over the fuel price 
on Wednesday. The fuel price has gone up two days consecutively. Depending on which state you are, it could be anything from a few rupees to 80 paisa. Uh, and uh, in Bombay, it's really expensive, man. When I was seeing the list, thank God I don't live there. Rahul Gandhi says, lockdown on inflation removed as government hikes fuel prices. So he says, inflation will lockdown laga tha, ab Then Sonia Gandhi reached out to the dissenting G23 leaders discussing ways to strengthen the party. And she said that, you know, by the time the next elections happen, there will be changes made. So she does seem to be reaching out. Meanwhile, in the ghastly incident, uh, videos of which have been doing the rounds, 10, depending on what numbers you believe, some say a lot more. Uh, people, uh, predominantly women and children, were burnt alive after a TMC leader's murder. Uh, Mamta Banerjee's party leader was murdered in that area. It was ghastly. Uh, the videos uh, are available of this. Uh, the governor, Dhankar, uh, who's in Darjeeling, had expressed anguish over the killings. And Mamta Banerjee termed his comments highly unfortunate and unbecoming a person holding a dignified constitutional post. Uh, the Prime Minister Narendra Modi also weighed in on this and described the killing in Birbhum as heinous. Uh, many people from the BJP and also journalist community have asked for some sort of a robust and credible investigation because the violence in Bengal just doesn't seem to end and and there doesn't seem to be any retribution either. Then in Karnataka, Muslim traders have been banned from having stalls at several temple fairs and in and around temple areas. The chief minister, Bomai, has quoted in assembly an existing rule, which I didn't even actually know, which actually prohibits non-Hindus from having any sort of commercial establishments in and around temple premises. So, just for the record, this is not a new thing, but these posters came up around temples that all you non-Muslims, uh, non-Hindus, and calling Muslims a name, pack up your shops here and go, including radies. But that's not owning a shop. A radi can, you know, go around anywhere. So, the chief minister said that this law existed. So, I mean, it's legit. But they will take action against anyone who tries to remove radies. I mean, I don't know if that will happen. Were, uh, Anand uh, Raman, I, were you aware of this law? In Karnataka? No, no, I wasn't. Were you Anand? No, these are state laws and that also is very statutory, very specific laws. I think uh, most of us would not be aware of that. So In Delhi, in Delhi, there used to be a law. There was a law, in fact, that, uh, you know, you cannot come up with a liquor shop uh, within the 100 meter uh, of, uh, you know, any temple or or a church, or a, or a masjid. I mean, that law was there. And I remember, you know, when I was a reporter, I did a, a story along those lines. But this law, yes, as uh, Anand is right, I mean, it's state-specific. And it's, it's not new. So, I mean, I'm surprised when this law was initially passed, a bigger noise wasn't made around it anyway. Uh, then the ripples of Sri Lanka's economic crisis are now being felt on Indian shores. On Tuesday, 16 Sri Lankan nationals, all Tamils from the Jaffna and Mannar regions, reached Tamil Nadu in two batches. Uh, if you haven't been following, the economic situation in Sri Lanka is spiraling in a real disaster zone. And in fact, uh, was it one of uh, the Indian political leaders who said that it's the president responsible? I think uh, I think maybe Subraman Swami said that, that it's just misgovernance. 
um so the coast guard rescued these people and uh, sri lanka is going through a real uh, economic crisis and in a report that has just come out it is revealed that over 2150 cases of deaths in judicial custody happened in 2122 this was the government answer in lok sabha so that's over 2000 people which is about the number of people um who officially died in the delhi riot of 84 and approximately the similar amount of number of people have died in the gujarat riot of 2002 those many people died in custody in india last year i mean just to give you an idea of how casual we treat how casually we treat custodial deaths in our country and uh, finally human error appears to be the likely reason for the accidental firing of a missile into pakistan 2 weeks ago uh, there is apparently a court of inquiry that is probing the incident and they are examining the role of a group captain and some other officials for alleged lapses let's see what comes of this so that's quite a long list of headlines we had this week but much happened and there was no one big news if you've been following what's happening in ukraine as a bit of more of the same uh a bit more grandstanding uh so we will not discuss that and we discussed that in detail last week so let me first go to um oh wait alpana's here so yes bang in time hi alpana can you hear me yeah hi hi nico i can hear you yes so alpana or as we used to call her alps has joined us uh, you're in the uk alps yes i am in the uk right now okay. absolutely so yeah. uh Thank you for joining us. We just finished the headlines. We'll start the conversation. In fact, we can start with Kashmir only, and then we can yes, discuss. Thanks for having me. Other aspects later. Uh, Alpana, other than being my former boss, is a senior <laughs> journalist and writer. She's reported extensively on German Kashmir for Newstrack at the peak of the conflict. I have introduced her before to all our audience here on Hafta. She most famously, or if not most famously, at least it was the most dramatic. Video footage I remember interviewed Must Gul, a dreaded militant of the time who had burnt. Uh, a a mazar called Chirare Sharif and escaped uh, she interviewed him in the wild not in custody and she was part of the team that did extensive coverage of Jammu and Kashmir in the 80s and 90s so thank you for joining us and also joining us on the phone line are Raman and uh, and Anand hi Alpna hi Raman how are you hi. great great good to have you so yeah, you. Uh, i'll just quickly uh, get to kashmir i was just asking anand um, you know um, about these the sri lanka economic crisis you know briefly uh, anand uh, i mean any reason i mean is it that it's too tiny a country i it hasn't made much news right anywhere i mean i haven't seen other than today's paper uh, and do you no, know it what has, it, it has been making uh, okay uh, for the last 6 7 months but is yes, not that prominently but uh, if you see the inside uh, world affairs pages it has been making and what is it is it uh, basically because the economy was very dependent on imports is it supply chain issues is it tourism i mean why this d- dramatic yes, spiral into uh, disaster a combination of all that including pandemic right right Yeah, to help if we, you know, this week, uh, I don't know how much of Indian media you consume over there. Very little, I'm guessing. 
Um, well, I mean, enough online to be up to date, uh, I, I suppose, uh, to some extent. Okay, but uh, you miss out on the primetime debates, which are the crowning glory of Indian <laughs> news media. <Yeah. laughs> but well, yeah, I get to see some of them, but not all. Yeah, we've had more debates, uh, you know, on this in Indian media in the last ten days, with yeah. this film as the hook, than yeah. I have seen, I think, in the last ten years of reporting on the media when news laundry came about and i'm really surprised that vivek agnihotri has that kind of clout or is the mascot for making this a new political issue uh, to you know contest elections on but uh, i have two or three quick questions after that you can elaborate on you know the state of kashmir and you were uh, covering it a has yes. any channel got in touch with you to talk about it no except for you no wow meanwhile they have Anand Ranganathan and everybody else commenting on it. So not a single channel got in touch with the reporter who actually reported there. Uh, I mean, are you in touch with Mini or Nuthan or anyone? Has anyone got in touch with any of them? Because I haven't seen them on any channel either. Um, I, of course, I'm in touch with Mini and Nuthan. Uh, I have no idea whether they've been contacted, but both Mini and Nuthan, of course, uh, had some uh, reportage on Kashmir, but um, Mini, I think, was mostly concentrating on Punjab, uh, the Khalistan movement at that time. So... Possibly, I don't know, but, but yeah, that, she was very much is, there. That is still too. more experience than the ones we are subject to in prime yeah, and, time. And, and and don't forget, we were all witness to what happened then. So we, we know the story. We were witness. I mean, even if you didn't report on it, you read it, you heard it, you saw what was happening. You know, and TV was nowhere near it is today. But uh, still, I mean, you know, Doordarshan, you saw, and of course, news track. Newstrack showed everything. I mean, it is possibly the most authentic document of that era. Those tapes are invaluable to see actually yet, what happened. We haven't seen that footage telecast yeah. by the channel that owns the rights for that, which is negative. Right. We haven't yeah. seen yeah. either that, you. That's really a travesty. That's we haven't really seen you or Nutan or Madhu on any channel talking about it. The people were there, but we've seen yeah. all sorts of other players talking about it. So, yeah. uh, so that's uh, my second question: Is uh, you've seen the film? Yes, I have. Okay, I have. congratulations. Yeah, I uh, managed to see it. And I will say, I did see Manoj on one show on Network 18 of uh, this uh, anchor we have called Gulu, whose real name okay. is, um, it'll come to me, Amish, Amish Devgun. But okay. we refer to him lovingly as Gulu because he's kind of cute like that. He uh, <laughs> was shouting and uh, I think Manoj was a little shocked that someone could shout that much, even by his standards. So, so he was kind of stunned into silence watching this guy. But uh, now, when you see the film, to begin with, can you tell me what is factually inaccurate? What is factually accurate enough for a film? And what is accurate but out of context in any order you want? I think you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think the film is a series of factual episodes. So, um, you know, everything that's shown did happen. Um, but there is absolutely no context. So let me just elaborate on this for today's view, today's uh, listeners, viewers, you know, I mean, we, we are currently witnessing the war in Ukraine. Now, suppose there's no social media, there's no live television, you hear about this war in Ukraine, and you, you know, there's bombardment and the cities are being destroyed, etc. But you don't really know what's happening. 30 years later, uh, I presume some kind of a Ukrainian film appears and only shows you the bombardment, the destruction and the hell. Um, now, you, as an Indian, you might start questioning, but hey, why did the Indian government not support Ukraine in the UN? 
I mean, this is such a black and white issue. I mean, here are these people being bombarded, killed, you know, for 10 million of them running away. Is there a second side to it? There's, how did the Indian government then abstain from this vote? Why did it, um, you know, not make its voice heard for these, for these uh, terribly, for this terrible injustice to the people? Uh, so I think you have to understand that there's complexity, there's nuance, and there is a larger picture. Obviously, the Indian government understood that larger picture. It has interests, it has alliances, and it has an understanding of geography. It understands that Ukraine cannot escape its geography. It understands that there will always be a role that Russia will play in Ukraine. And uh, the threat to Russia by uh, Ukraine's desire to join the NATO is very real to Russia. And it will do everything in its power, like most nation states do, including the United States of America, including India, to protect its neighborhood uh, from uh, its enemy. Now, all this cannot be encapsulated in a film which only shows you the bombardment. So how, how does one explain to somebody 30 years later that, hey, there's a bigger story, there's a larger picture. Yes, this terrible thing happened, and it is a tragedy, uh, but there is more to the picture. So I, you know, I think that context is missing from the film entirely. So um, the narrative is, is, is ideological. So it's not, I can't accept it as truth. Yes, it is truth. The truth is there in the episodes. But the ideological um, domination of the, of the narrative is such that they, I'm never allowed to see what the other side has to say. They're only painted black, but they must have some story. They must have something to say. Right. And uh, also, I was uh, a little surprised at um, the level of, like, the demonization is so complete that... You know, even Amrish Puri as Mugambo had more grays than... Yeah, just exactly. Overall. That's what I'm saying. There must be something for them to say. They, yeah. they can't be these completely black demons, monsters, you know, terrible people. I know personally of stories that say the complete opposite. Right. So, I'm, you know, is somebody allowed to say those stories? Are we allowed to, you know, say that in this atmosphere? I'm not sure. Uh, so, we'll come back to more on this. Uh, uh, Raman sir, have you watched the film? No, I couldn't. I because I am here in the hills. I see. So I could not watch the film. So is it is it tax free in your state? Because tax free, I think in six states have made it tax free. Uh, Uttarakhand, I think the Dami has just been the chief minister, so he's going to. No, but this is clearly the number one issue that even the prime minister has to speak about. Uh, what do you make of the conversation around it? So you've also been in Kashmir, even uh, you weren't there during the peak militancy, but you've worked out of Kashmir for a long time as resident editor. Uh, I I was there in 2000. Uh, so even, I mean, uh, everyone, every time when you go there, I mean, anybody who goes there, I mean, it is always the peak. Like I, I went, when I landed in Srinagar for the first time, the that 36 Sikhs were massacred at Chhattisingpura. So so I, I remember, uh, in the, uh, I mean, I took the flight. In the morning it happened. Uh, la a day before it happened, and in the morning I learned about it. And uh, even in Jammu, when I was flying to Srinagar, uh, all roads were blocked. So I somehow, uh, you know, even though my taxi was stopped, so I just ran to the, I, I had reached about two kilometers uh, uh, around the airport. So I ran to the airport. I took my flight, went to uh, Srinagar, and uh, my uh, Muzammil, used to be my reporter in Indian Express and uh, photographer was Javed. So they had come in their uh, Maruti 800. So I straight went to Chittisingpura. 
So uh, yes, it was pretty bad even at that time. But yes, uh, I mean, Alpana was there in nineties uh, when the Pandit thing happened. When when I went there, there were hardly any pandits. Right, Anand. Uh, have you watched the film? Anand? No, no, I have not. Okay. Uh, you have any comments on the um, noise around it and the fact that it's been brought up in Parliament? It's you know the the PM has commented saying something that was very thrill to hear that the answer to a film is a film. That was like Rashti said the answer to a book is a book. I was like Rashti Modi same same nice. Uh, but you you have any comment around it becoming such an event? I was I was surprised by it. No, see, uh, I have not seen it. Uh, maybe because I am pre- preoccupied with other concerns or am too lazy to go to a, a theater. I have not seen a film in theater in the last four years. So um, that is it. But you see, in, in uh, it's just a three decades old thing, and just imagine that if uh, we are so divided about establishing facts and um, something that was history in making in front of our own eyes, then what to do about the historical uh, uh, debates, uh, debates around historical events, processes, and um, that uh, our century is old. So the uh, history being in no man's land, maybe uh, a very happy hunting ground for the historian or in this case a filmmaker or anyone. So uh, establishing facts uh, from a very objective point of view, it seems uh, uh, almost impossible. Uh, This uh, also is compounded by a kind of fatigue also, maybe not fatigue in all, but I think there has been, and uh, people say that the information overload, but Kashmir is a case of narrative overload. So Kashmir, uh, because of its internationalization, because of being in an international dispute, whether India, Indian official stand is that or not, uh, is a, a case of international media focus and everything. So there has been oversupply of narratives from there. And for me, some a news consumer like me, it uh, I just navigate through the headlines and basic, very basic facts and not beyond that because there was a point of time where we were overburdened with Kashmir stories. Now also, it's an overcovered area for such a large country like India, where you can find thousand narratives and thousand pieces of pieces of news every day. Sometimes you feel that Kashmir walks away with the cake. So uh, that is one thing. Third is that my point comes when, as the prime minister said, that even in his initial reaction, he said that the filmmaker has shown the truth as he sees it. Now, as he sees it is an important qualifier there because he's, at least the prime minister was not emphasizing that that's the truth, but that's how the filmmaker saw the truth. So uh, it's an important qualifier that uh, Filmmakers. Can I just uh, say one thing at this moment? Sorry uh, to interrupt. 
uh, you, you've given a very pertinent point, uh, Anand, that he, he talked about as he sees it. But that is the job of the censor board in this country. I remember when we did News Track, we were not allowed to carry a single narrative. We had to carry the rejoinder. I mean, sometimes our stories were stopped because we only had one side of the, the view. We didn't have the other side. So institutions are eroded to such a great extent that the censor board, who would have never, ever passed this film earlier, uh, has not only passed it, has passed it without you know, any kind of cuts because this kind of thing has always led to incitement. And it has led it led to it earlier as well. And the, the state or the establishment was conscious of the fact that in a country like India, incitement is, is just a breath away. You know, you have to be careful with your facts. You have to present them in a fair and balanced way. I don't think this film is that. And I think the institution that was supposed to um, not allow the filmmaker to show it just as he sees it, but also to balance the facts, did not do his job. But other than that, uh, one institution uh, Alps, there's, there's the other where this one particular uh, army officer who, you know, died while serving. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a little episode with him and she said that's not how it played out. And I know I've said this in Hafta last week. I personally know of two scripts uh, which are being made that involve characters from the army that was sent mm-hmm. back to be rewritten because there is a department in the army that passes anything that has the army featuring uh, or references yeah. to the army. And if the wife uh, or, the, or the widow of you know one of the late officers is saying that this is not how it happened, mm-hmm. uh, but yet the institution that is there that is sending scripts back decides not to say right. anything. I find right. that fascinating. But um, yeah. yeah, Anand, finish your thought, then we'll come back to yes. Alpana and Raman. Uh-huh. So uh, maybe that, that's uh, a fair point. But I think uh, still the distinction is being made between the news report reporters and a film because I think a film still can get away with a creative license. And uh, to what extent it was pitched as a very factual documentary or factual uh, piece of work, uh, I don't know. But uh, uh, there is also this thing that uh, the portrayal of reality at the end of the day is a portrayal. It's, it may not be the reality itself. So uh, that somehow gives uh, films uh, and even documentaries some leeway. So that, uh, that uh, can distinguish it from journalism or some say, f- very f- fact-finding missions or or say his or an academic really, pursuit that's fact finding academic pursuit right, or right. or any kind of historian historian's project or something like that so that uh, that uh, fourth point is that i think it had a cathartic uh, because it made ripples because of course it uh, uh, had uh, um, c- a certain kind of resonance with an ideological project, and uh, that uh, was uh, uh, in the UK. One of uh, the most prominent uh, philosophers, uh, Sir Roger Sturton, who uh, passed away, I think, two years ago or last year. So uh, he had made a point, and this has to be taken uh, in its entirety, so it can be easily misunderstood. He said that the majority need not only be not ignored, 
but it should be respected. That is to say that it should not be respected more than the minority, but in the equivalence of respect for all communities in a pluralistic society, the majority voice or its uh, tales of victimhood cannot be drowned down just because it's coming from a particular community. And it is not to put at any other community at disadvantage, but also to see that in our uh, virtuous incarnations as, as you say, guardians of particular set of values, we don't uh, become uh, distant or somehow aloof to a certain uh, kind of voices coming from uh, the majority community. Now, uh, this ideological framing of it, uh, the political forces at uh, the hem of affairs now, now, they might have used it in, in a way that has found resonance uh, in this project. So that would be a, a further point. Yes. So uh, I yeah, just, I, yes, I, sir, go ahead. Hi, uh, I mean, uh, I have not seen the movie. So, and I think he, uh, he's free to make any kind of movie that he wants to. But uh, the politics of it is quite evident. Uh, that this 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 uh, movie has been used as an ideological instrument to spread hatred against Muslims is quite evident. I mean, it is. I mean, it's not that they might have done it; they have done it. If yeah. you see the systematically, I mean, in all the BJP states, the way uh, you know it was made tax-free. I mean, one state uh, chief minister he went ahead and he said he's going to show it free of cost. The yeah, he said if people. you show the ticket. No, uh, I, I think, sir, not only that, the fact that it isn't accompanied by any condemnation of the videos of incitement that, like, you can do that. Right. You can say that, okay, watch this film, it's important. But right. please, after watching it in the hall, don't start abusing Muslims and making a noise. Right. That right. condemnation hasn't come from anyone, which no. would be okay if they weren't talking about the film at all. Huh. But if they're talking about it and not talking about this aspect, that makes it too clear but but um sorry um, elves to come back to you i did watch the film finally i think you and i are the only one on the panel who had the time <laughs> yeah. to watch the film even though i know you're very busy moving in london yeah. but um the two things that surprised me and i think this uh, i also said this in the awful and awesome episode a lot of people really um uh, spoke about how ideologically um hateful it is, all the political problems, but they preceded it by saying, but, you know, Anupam Kher has acted really well. There have been some very well shot scenes. I watched it and I watched it with an open mind. Mm. Uh, I really think Anupam Kher, this is one of his really not good performances at all. So I think yeah. a lot of people, a lot it's of really people, over and of, I, it's really bad. Yeah. And I think his emotions have got the better of his craft. Which yeah. is, I'm really sorry to say, he's a very fine actor. I've seen him act on stage. I've seen, I mean, he is superb at nuance. There's no nuance in this uh, and, role. And that it's, he's it is it's like just bad terrible. 80s overacting. Yeah. So I think a lot of yeah. people who hammy, want. Hammy, hammy, and, you know, you know, overdone, over shrill, shrill. It's a shrill kind of so, acting. So, so many... And I'm sure if he sees it 10 years later with an open mind, he'll agree. So, you know, I thought that a lot of people were 
finding things to appreciate about the film so that they can condemn its politics so to sound balanced and this monkey balancing is the uh, you know the exact corollary of what anand was saying the, at a philosophical level that there is a tendency of the majority to ignore um or, or you know an aspect a part of the majority to ignore majority grouses uh, yeah. because you don't want to upset the minority similarly mm-hmm. i think there is a tendency of many liberal voices to say let me find two three things to say nice so i can condemn its politics exactly. it is yeah. such yeah. a badly made yeah. film i it's was like wow i was yeah. is this all it takes to brainwash people then we can make shitty films like in 10 days every 10 days yeah because yes which is why i come back to the role of the censor board which is an institution when it's correctly done not ideologically driven is here to protect people from incitement uh it's not a question of a filmmaker i'm i'm sorry i disagree with two of the panelists at least uh i do not agree that anyone should have the freedom to make anything they want he can't make a film he likes it has to be a film that fits into some sort of uh uh you know balanced narrative it has a public release otherwise he's free to make a personal documentary show it around and everything but if it has a public release it is certified by the censor board then it has to fit certain parameters Uh, it's been certified but it doesn't fit those uh, those parameters at all so and which i think is essential but coming back to your um i mean again something that anand said about the majoritarian aspect of it uh, or the majority you know how the majority's grouses should not be ignored i think this fits absolutely correctly in the kashmir narrative when it comes to the kashmiri pandit and kashmiri muslim equation kashmiri pandits are a tiny tiny minority in the in the larger kashmiri uh, population uh, tiny means 3 4 you know percent not even more than that uh, yet they have had the most powerful or privileged position not just economically but even the power equation is what i'm talking about for the last 3 400 years they have been the ones in power they had they may not have been the majority but they had the ear of the powerful they were the interlocutors of power they were the administrators they were uh, you know uh, even if it was a uh, whether i mean the six afghans and dogras these are the three rulers who ruled over kashmir in the you know years before 1947 none of them was a kashmiri uh each of them used the pandits as their interlocutors and i'm afraid that that role carried on post 1947 even when democracy came and then the muslims became the larger sort of voice which they never were because they were always um the poorer classes the manual uh, you know labor classes whereas the kashmiri pandits were the landowners they were the administrators so this exercise this imbalance of power which would have naturally corrected itself in 1947 did not fully correct itself yes to some great extent the kashmiri pandits were were turned away from the government jobs they had automatic access to and you know so on but they still had the ear of the center so they were the ones who advised the center what to do in kashmir so so what i'm saying is that um uh, you know if if you if a a minor, if the majority is not happy which the kashmiri muslims were not right from the 50s for whatever reasons now you can debate that were they right to be happy or not right to be whatever that was but they were not happy and the movement against indian um you know uh, rule in kashmir 
started in bits and pieces. Peace came, it returned, went back again, Sheikh Abdullah. You know, all, all kinds of things happened in between the 50s and the 80s. In the 80s particularly, the, the center rigged elections in Kashmir. It toppled two, three governments. It, um, you know, interfered massively. And the amazing thing is that nobody talks about it now, but a lot of Indian public opinion felt sympathy towards the Kashmiris when all this was happening, because at that time, center-state relations were extremely biased in favor of the center. There was no question of a strong state. A strong center meant the states had to be weak. This was the Congress or the Indira Gandhi era, and this is how things were at that time. So there was a great deal of sympathy for the Kashmiri Muslims and their governments being toppled and the rigged elections, et cetera, et cetera. So there was, what I'm trying to say is there's an atmosphere of anger against the center. Now, if the Kashmiri Pandit wants to, he, he of course is seen as the agent of the center at that point in time. And if he wants to be extremely, if he wants to stand out as a minority in this larger majority opinion, then it's really difficult practically to be not a target because you know at, at some point in time, the power balance tips and you are left in that tiny minority, which is terrifying and which is scary and which is exactly what happened. So, so what you're saying he, is that, you know, that that thing, not only does it exist at a national, at a national level, minority, it exists at a state level also. It exists at two levels, basically. And in course, both, it's a mirror. I mean, just, like, just like the right-wing government today demands that minorities in India must respect and must be within what they think is nationalist. So you're not allowed that complete exercise of your identity. I want a Sharia law or I want, you know, four wives or I want to divorce when I want to. This is specifically what this government has cracked down on. In the same way, it's the opposite picture in the state of uh, Jammu and Kashmir, especially in the Kashmir Valley itself, which is a tiny, tiny portion. You know, it's just a small um, little valley, but it has Ooh. the largest population. And that's why it was important in the state because it, it uh, automatically the larger majority was was uh, you know were, were the ones in power now coming so to if you stick out as a sore thumb yeah alps you know this uh, one that you told me about um, just two things if you could just quickly elaborate on and then i'll move to anand and raman yeah. one is this reference that they have of but mazar which yeah. uh, you know thousands of kashmiri hindus were killed over there and right. it is more of a historical thing of a, a regime that actually didn't differentiate between Hindu uh, Kashmiris and Muslim Kashmiris. They were killing all of them. Yes, and somehow yes. in this film, it is shown that it is unique to during this time. That was one aspect. And the second aspect that today's news consumers would not be aware of is the Kashmir of the 80s was not the Kashmir of today. It was, I mean, it was here today, gone tomorrow. Could you just elaborate about both these points a little bit? See, so first of all, the question of Kashmiri Pandit and Kashmiri Muslim history is a question, or actually Kashmiri history, is that a whole bunch of outsiders came and, and ruled Kashmir at various times. Sometimes it, it uh, benefited the Kashmiri Muslim, most times, uh, you know, or it benefited the Kashmiri Pandit who, are, who was in power. But most times it benefited neither because these were outsiders who were bent on extracting their, like, like any colonial rule. I mean, the British or the, you know, first the Mughals came, then the, you know, the Afghans came, then the Sikhs came, then the Dogras came. So they've had a succession of rulers who were not Kashmiri, which is fair enough because, you know, that's how the whole of India has been ruled. Various parts of India, there were tiny states which were taken over by larger states, which were taken over by larger states. So that's the way history functions. But 
what happened here is that because of the two very sharply different sets of communities within Kashmir, there are different times in history when Kashmiri pundits were terribly badly treated by Sikandar Butchikan, who was known as the idol killer because he, he had such a rule of terror and you know the Kashmiris fled the valley, etc. Uh, to the Afghan times when the Kashmiri Muslims were also, you know, treated uh, like worse than slave labor, drowned in the Dal Lake, you know, all kinds of terrible atrocities that happened to both communities. So what I dislike about this film particularly is the way it keeps telling you Muslims are terrible, they're black, they're awful. The one thing that I can say with complete conviction and any look back at recent history will show you is that no Indian Muslim ever, ever, you know, put across a sort of inter-community sort of sympathetic look at Kashmir, never, not even once. They stayed scrupulously away from it. They joined the national narrative, which wanted, uh, you know, which thought of Kashmir as part of India. They never once, you know, had that sort of inter-religious sort of, um, community empathy, nothing of the sort ever, you know, all through the Islamist uh, propaganda happening in Kashmir at that point in time. So to paint a, an entire community, I mean, you have a problem with Kashmiri Muslims, which also I think that, they, of course, that there's another story to it as well. I mean, they, if you, if you talk about the 90s, it's all about human rights against the um, Kashmiri Muslims, but also the, the huge amount of 80,000 deaths of Kashmiri Muslims in the valley, not just by not by security forces, but by militants. You and know, so that they number, that, that, that number doesn't is not demonstrated in any way that eighty thousand Muslims also died. That's nowhere. Yes, and innocent Muslims, people picked off in in villages, or you know, just for being uh, so, sort of uh, having a policeman in the family, or having a you know relative who was a, who worked in the government, or and just just for no reason, just like that. You know, you can't protect yourself, and this is what. You know, this is why I feel that to show it in this way is to just blindly start a campaign of hatred against a particular community. When I'm, when, like I said, the Indian Muslim has been exemplary in his, uh, his or her conduct uh, all through uh, as, a, as a true nationalist uh, Indian, uh, you know, community. Absolutely. An exemplary minority community in India. Right. Anand, uh, you're making a point and then Raman, sir, you can come in after that. Oh, just two brief points. I think uh, um, what a f film or uh, any piece of work um, or maybe even rigorous uh, academic work like a historian's book research can have limitations. Uh, limitations of uh, um, not only the framework, the analytical tools, but also what he wants to see. So the famous EHK dictum that read the historian before you read the history, he will write the history that he wants. So that goes well for the filmmakers also. And I don't believe that uh, filmmakers are very much invested in recreating a history. I, I have not seen a very a very balanced or very documentary or very balanced film or something. Uh, I think he, his was always a lopsided project to begin with. So to have expectation that what message it will have for the nation is quite another thing. But uh, uh, he had a very limited frame. I have not seen the film, film, but what I gathered from what I listen and read is that uh, that it's a limited frame. And to have too much intellectual expectation out of it 
would be stretching it too much. So uh, second is that uh, coming back to the point, I think uh, the Rosary Skirton quote, it was framed in context of Britishness against uh, say other nationalities, immigrants gelling well, gelling with the British nationality. And that had a different context. In Indian context, as Alpna pointed out, the demographic configuration of uh, minority and majority can differ. In Kashmir, uh, the majority could be different and the minority, of course, was a different community. Sim similarly, there are districts in India, say Kishanganj district in Bihar, which has around 67% Muslim population. Now, there the demographic or, or the narratives of victimhood would be quite different. Uh, similarly, uh, some other pockets. So that kind of a scale is always relevant to keep in mind. Uh, uh, also, um, the catharsis was more to say with the national picture, means channelizing of an um, ideological point of view that uh, what uh, has been untold is the victimhood of a different kind. Now, that's a very national scale storytelling and not very particular to the details of a geographical region. So, yes, that's a difference. That's a difference that has to be seen, yes. Uh, Raman sir, uh, your inputs on this and if before I just wanted to add one thing uh, regarding the project, uh, Viveka Gnudra has been given Y category security and very importantly, he has not once condemned any of the outbursts of bigotry, of grotesque calls for, you know, I mean, just short of, let's, you know, ride rough short over the Muslims. He hasn't commented on that at all so far. And neither have any of the states that have made it tax-free. Yes, sir. Go ahead. But that was never the idea. I mean, they are not going to condemn, you know, any kind of bigotry. I, I, I'm for the minimum censorship. Uh, I, I still maintain that. And uh, But in the same breath, I would also like to say, if I want to make a movie on Gujarat massacre today, whether the censorship is going to, you know, clear it. If, if I also want to make a movie, you know, a similar kind of movie and show the kind of atrocities that had happened over there. Now, the second thing that I will say, uh, even I uh, agree with the Alpna, because whatever limited time I have spent in Jammu and Kashmir, Kashmiri Muslim culturally is very, very different from, you know, the rest of the Muslims living in India. And, and also when the Kashmir thing was happening, uh, the Indian Muslim hardly have any sympathy or any anything to say, you know, on the uh, to take sides uh, of the Kashmir Muslims. And and this picture is, you know, trying to paint all the Muslims uh, uh, as villains. So that's that's what they are trying to do. And that's what uh, I, I mean. Even if I have not seen the movie, but I can very clearly see that how they are using it ideologically. Now, let's, from the big picture, I just want to come down to the small picture of your experiences while shooting there. You have in the last hafta, the link to the earlier hafta when Alpana was actually on this show uh, will be in the show notes below. You had told me about the contacts, like when you would go interview a militant, you know, a young girl, lady, okay, you must have been in your 20s or 30s at that time, you know, going to interview a militant in the wild. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a certain amount of trust you'd had and these were local you know, Muslims, it's sad that we have to point out what religion they were, who you trust with, technically, with your life. I mean, that's what you were doing. You were going to be dealing with eight people with, you know, automatic weapons in the middle of a forest who have, in the past, killed people. So, 
give me the personal aspect of what it was like reporting because I wish we had some commentators doing that rather than the shouting nutters who've never left a studio that I see these days. Just an experience without of ideology who was right what the politics. What was it like for you to be there? So look, there's no question that the movement started as a movement for independence, for Azadi. It's important to make this distinction because it had the, the broad support of middle-class, literate, intellectual Kashmir. So people like, you know, people who worked in government, poets, uh, writers, you know, these are the people who supported the idea of Azad Kashmir as a, as a lovely, beautiful dream. You know, it was not a, a menacing, horrible, you know, sort of, Islamist oriented place. It was a place of equality. It was a place, but it was independent of Indian domination because their experience of Indian rule has been toppling governments, has been manipulating puppet regimes, etc. So more that than democracy. Yes, there were spells of democracy, but their experience has been uh, with many, many uh, caveats. Uh, it's not entirely that point of view, but it has been difficult. Now, this idea of Azadi was taken over by Pakistan because they are Muslim and this was a perfect intervention spot or area to, to come in and it be turned Islamist. But my point is meeting these people personally, um, like you said, putting my life into their hands. I was in I was my mid-20s. I was, I think, 25, 26 years old. And when you're that young, I don't think you think things through so completely either. But there were a lot of risks that we took, not just me, but our camera crew, you know, Bharat Raj and uh, Rehan Kidwai and um, Ajmal Jami and, um, uh, you know, Badri, all these people who were with me, uh, Pranesh, all these people. And, and, you know, in Newstrack, our entire team, all of us, we went there, we spoke to people, we got their point of view. What did they want? I mean, Right now, you're not speaking to them. There's silence. At that time, we went and we reported, what did the Kashmiri Muslims want? What was their idea of Azadi? And they were very happy to speak to us, very happy to tell us and take us to these places that, you know, to make us meet the militants, find out what they wanted. When I met Mastul, this was around the mid-90s. By that time, the complexion of the movement had changed from Azadi to Nizam Mustafa, which was an Islamist, uh, you know, the, the Azadi guys had all been killed uh, or they were in jail. The Hezbollah Mujahideen, which was an Islamist uh, party propped up by the Pakistanis at that point in time, they had taken over. So they were, um, you know, they were propagating a different kind of thing. And that was the first time, actually, I felt in danger because these were not people who had my well-being in mind. They would not hesitate to, you know, sacrifice me or dump me if, if needed. But otherwise, my interactions with Kashmiri Muslims were very... We got into fierce arguments. We we yelled each other down, and um, you know, I I um, I don't stand for the idea of Kashmiri independence uh, because I think all religion-based divisions are terrible. Having come from a partition family myself, but I respected their point of view, and they heard me out. So we had huge intellectual discussions, shouting matches. Uh, they sulked with me. You know, I remember one professor. We were sitting in an empty classroom. And there was a little podium where the lecturer sits. So we were sitting together on the benches and talking. And he was so angry with me. He got up and he went and sat on the raised podium and turned his back to me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a guy I've been to seminars with. We have sat together and joked and laughed and shared meals. And so that was the kind of, um, what should I say, relationship, one can say, being on opposite sides of the fence. 
yet giving the space to each other to, to uh, give our points of view. And I understood some po points of their view and they understood some points of mine. And, and this mythology that it has not been covered, I remember you very early oh had told me God. that this Kashmir was Kashmir was the yeah. sexy story. I think Anand also articulated it, that it's got more. Yes. I remember you used to say that no, if, I, if, if you wanted to make a splash in journalism, you had to go to Kashmir. So everybody was in yeah. Kashmir. Yeah, yeah. No, but I think this is the, this is the most vile, fake uh, and, and, you know, uh, revolting thing about this, this uh, the untruths that this movie spreads. Who, is, who said that it wasn't covered? It was completely covered. It was on the cover of India Today. Uh, not, I mean, I'm talking about the Kashmiri Pandit story. Forget about Kashmir. Just the Kashmiri Pandit exodus was hugely covered. It was covered extensively by Sunday magazine, which existed at that point. It was a weekly, very prominent weekly. It was covered by India Today. It was covered by all the national newspapers, relentlessly pictures were taken Doordarshan covered in blanket wall-to-wall -wall coverage so where, how was it not covered I mean you know you can sit very smugly today in the era of social media and look back because there was no Twitter there was no Facebook there was nothing no, no, you know nothing of the sort and you can uh, sit in this era of live television and look back and say oh you know it was never covered but that is complete rubbish complete and this is an absolute thorough complete lie I, I was there. I know. I, I you know, Manoj Raghuvanshi did a did a twenty minute story which extensively looked at every part of this and and you know gave the Kashmiri Pandit point of view so sympathetically and so well. And so did I. I have interviewed uh, so many Kashmiri Pandit leaders. You know, um, Jattu Shivanduda, who was a chartered accountant, unfortunately passed away. Uh, you know, so many people at that time. In fact, I followed the story up to 18 years later. I went uh, because I did a fellowship, which is where I traveled the whole of rural Kashmir and Jammu, looking for, you know, uh, working on identity uh, politics and looking for, uh, you know, points of view specifically to the Pandit community and the Muslim community. And I went and met, and I've written a piece which uh, I think News Laundry is going to carry, which explains this relationship between the Jammu, between the Kashmiri Pandits who fled the valley and the Kashmiri Muslims. I think, you know, you, you have to stop at lying. You can't keep lying so much. There was massive coverage and everybody got a fair understanding of that. What people don't know today, I think the biggest context to understand today is that at that point in time, when this tragedy was unfolding and the Kashmiris were fleeing and they were a tiny, tiny minority and they fled to, to Jammu and, and all their massive numbers, whatever the, the entire community, at that point in time, Kashmir was barely a thread away from being lost to India. You have to understand that. So all the forces were concentrated, governmental, administrative, army, paramilitary, uh, whatever you call it, all hands on deck to ensure that that did not happen. Because at that time, there were demonstrations of, um, you know, a lakh, two lakhs. Manoj has captured that in his fantastic story in 1990 of how these everybody in Srinagar was out on the streets. It was a hugely challenging time for the Indian state. The army was on the border. It had never done internal, I mean, it had not come inside Kashmir. It was not prepped. It was not organized. Today, there's, I mean, it took four or five, maybe more, maybe six years to set up the security grid. And now it's functioning so smoothly 30 years later that you can say, oh, you know, why the hell didn't they stop the Kashmiri Pandits? Why didn't, you know, at that point in time, if a Pandit was sitting on a mountain in some village, he was the only guy in the village. 
he was a minority. He was just maybe two Pandit families or three Pandit families in a village in some remote mountain area. How is the army going to protect him? And also, uh, I think the context people don't get is now when you have those those Friday, you know, regular stone throwing was a few thousand people and it became such a big deal. I don't think these days they can comprehend what it was like for a lakh, two lakh people to collect. Cause oh, no way. Was... My God, you couldn't step out on the street before being, I mean, like I said, Manoj is, our, the new strike stories are a, such an authentic document of that era. It is invaluable as uh, for historians or just for, for today's uh, young generation to understand how history unfolded then. And to like, just to give you an example, if those lakhs of lakhs people had taken over the 10 guards at Doordarshan, made a proclamation that Kashmir was independent, Pakistan army had decided to walk in and yes, face, of course, the army was at the border, would not allow them to do so so easily, but there would have been massive civil war because at that time, how were militants being made? The Kashmiri Muslims were going across to Pakistan, getting training and coming back. How did they come back? Because the borders were semi-open, semi-permeable, just like Kargil happened. Mm. So now you have a fence. Now you have a, you know, all these things are nicely in place. So how patronizing that you sit here in a, in a, in a position of strength and you say, oh, you know, they should have done this. I think that's an insult really to the heroism of the armed forces, because I think at that point in time in 1990 to 96 was they literally fought with their backs to the wall to keep Kashmir within India. And have the Kashmiri Pandit tragedy unfold at that time, well, it was part of, like I said, the larger picture. You had to save Kashmir from slipping out. Yeah. Uh, and Ram- this is what happened in the middle of that. Raman sir, go ahead. Uh, no, and I saw a very different picture. I mean, in 2000, what Alpna is telling, it was completely missing by then the security forces. You what know, they had, yeah. uh, they, they, they had set up. They were everywhere. Right? And uh, everywhere. They were all over. And uh, I mean, at that time, the kind of picture that I saw was very, very different uh, from what Alpna is telling. Yeah. So I think that context is altogether missing in the conversations, but it remains a mystery to me as to the only channel in India today that has the most rich, authentic footage of back then is just not using it. I cannot (laughs) comprehend why would someone not do that. (laughs) But um, uh, I would just quickly like to touch upon one more issue uh, before uh, we thank our panel. Yeah, go ahead, Anand. One thing is that uh, the coverage of it or quote-unquote lack of it is another matter. But the conspiracy theories, now, why did that happen? And particularly in foreign press, maybe uh, the tiny quarters of foreign press, the motive behind the exodus or the so uh, there was an interview that vs napol gave in 1993 to dilip padgonkar then the editor of times of india and he said that in britain um, the newspaper the independent which now has i think uh, become a digital paper only so the independent he said that the independence uh, new delhi correspondent had filed a report that the Indian state themselves drove out the Kashmiri pundits so that their armed forces could have a free hand in Kashmir. So the conspiracy theories in a section of foreign press was uh, quite different. That was also the part of the narrative. Hmm. Yeah, I think that that was definitely um, later when I went back in 2008 for my fellowship and I was traveling in rural Kashmir and I spent a lot of time, like I said, questioning people on identity. I think what emerged for me then quite clearly was that no one likes to be accused of ethnic cleansing. And I think 
internationally Kashmiri Muslims who drove their, uh, I mean, actually they are the drivers of their own struggle. Uh, if they, you know, they wanted to get free, they wanted dependence, then, you know, they are the ones pushing it, they are the ones leading it. They wanted to be seen in a, in a better light, not as ethnic cleansers, but as victims. So there are various, uh, what should I say, everybody likes to paint themselves as the good guys. Yeah. And I think this was one way of saying, well, it wasn't us, it was the Indian state. Um, I think I think at that point in time, there was no question that the Kashmiri pundits were being terrorized. They had to flee or they had to then, you know, wait for the Indian state to protect them, which like I just told you, did not have the wherewithal at that point in time to protect them uh, individually. They could protect a group or a ghetto or a you know, colony, but they could not protect them individually in far-flung areas. Um, and so they are the ones who came pleading to the government, save us, you know, do something. And, and any government who is faced with, you know, the, the terror of these people and, you know, it has to protect its citizens. So if they made arrangements or if they, you know, created an infrastructure to take them out safely, well, that's what governments are supposed to do. You mm. know, if, if their citizens are, are in a in no position to protect themselves, this is what governments are, uh, should do. And they, that's what they did. So I think, look, foreign press is always going to be sympathetic to the underdog. It's the same in Ukraine. It's never going to be sympathetic to Russia. Mm. Uh, you know, um, not that I, I sympathize with the Russians because of, of the terrible carnage they have done in Ukraine, but there is no appreciation for the Russian point of view. They will push the underdog, even though it might destabilize the region, which is exactly what happened in, in Kashmir as well. The Kashmiri Muslim was seen as an underdog. Right. Um, so before I move on quickly, I just want to briefly touch upon, uh, you know, the rumblings, uh, political rumblings within the country. Bit that Alpana pointed out about everybody wants to see themselves as an underdog. This was very beautifully captured by R.K. Narayan's story, short story, An Astrologer's Day, where there's this guy who's an astrologer and he reads palms and uh, he tells this guy and he tells this to everybody because everybody believes this about themselves, that you are very soft on the inside, but very hard on the outside. No matter how big a pushover, everybody likes to see themselves as formidable outside, but have a very warm and soft heart. And the second, the world has been very unfair to you. You give a lot more to the world than the world gives to you. And everybody believes this about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so so that was uh, the takeaway from the Astrologer's Day. Uh, now, uh, if I could just ask the panel quickly, because uh, we discussed in great detail the disaster that is the Congress party and it's falling apart and we had in fact very dissimilar views within the panel uh, last week or the week before last when you discussed it where my view was there is no Congress without the Gandhis so I don't know what they're talking about because we saw the Congress without the Gandhis in fact when Alps was my boss when Sitaram Kesri took over uh, you know it just went down 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 and there was this dramatic scene where in the CWC meeting she was insulted she got up and walked off because she lived walking distance and then half the Congress went out chasing her. And she brought it back to 10 years of, you know, UPA rule. So I, I don't see who, whether Sibbal or Chidambaram see themselves as the leaders or anyone from the G23. But does anyone here think that Sonia Gandhi's response of reaching out to the dissenters has been a smart one, which clearly is against the way Priyanka and Rahul have dealt with them, that people who abandon the party at this time will never be welcomed. It's this like very bratish, I will never talk to you in my life again. Does anyone have a view on this at all? Uh, the differences were uh, really, you know, having an impact on the party as a whole. Uh, so I think it was a smart move. But having said that, uh, I mean, uh, when you said that this, they cannot be you know, any Congress without Gandhis, 
so i say that the gandhis have i mean at the moment i mean they have no organizational capacity the party is just disintegrating uh, so so i really hardly see i i can't see i mean gandhis uh, you know leading uh, the congress out of uh, the crisis at this point of time anand you have a view so uh, in the earlier part of the discussion we were talking about something else and i said that uh, to enforce discipline the party needs uh, big electoral wins and uh, that is not coming its way so um, as long as it's an on back foot the modal authority of the high command would be uh, severely dented that is uh, something stating the obvious but uh, that is the heat uh, being faced and uh, sonia gandhi of late uh, seems to have realized that but second point as you said that uh, in a disintegrating kind of political entity the glue is the uh, uh, dynastic legacy itself so the only glue that uh, is uh, uh, there with the congress is the um, um, dynastic appeal whether that has become a liability is another matter also so uh, i think congress is in a peculiar situation whether it has uh, been pushed to, to decide for itself that dynasty is a liability or an asset for itself and for the time being uh, i think uh, bereft of other attractive options it has uh, uh, put all its eggs in one basket and that is dynasty and uh, sonia gandhi's response comes from a dented moral authority of uh, a series of electoral debacles and one way of uh, cementing that uh, support base among the leftover workers is to make them feel valuable or even the top leadership whatever remains which are notables who have dissented this group of, of dissenters so that, that that is one of the lifeline lifelines she has and she has used it right uh, alps you have a view I actually don't agree with this notion that the Congress is nothing without the Gandhis or cannot exist. I think there is a there is a very strong, uh, what should I say, coherent element that is separate from dynasty that holds the Congress together, and that is its counter narrative to today's right wing ideology. I think there is enough of a base within the country that wants this counter narrative. um in fact i think it's it's probably waiting for it in some avatar or the other you know to have the the ability to to you know take off from the ground which the gandhis have kept it tethered to by their clinging on to something that like like i think anand said is is a disintegrating system and party i think if anyone can take this counter narrative and run with it my belief is everything has to be i mean if you if something is destroyed something else will take its place that is the way of history so something has to be destroyed before something else can take its place if the gandhis are permanently sitting on the structure not moving from their place no one can take their place but if that party is completely obliterated and there is allowed to be or forced to be another set of players who come in and and inherit this counter narrative uh and are able to build on the sort of destroyed infrastructure or maybe the old links or the old networks you know i don't see why that that shouldn't have i think that the time for the dynasty part is now over i'm not sure anybody sees them as glue anymore and and to say that uh, there is no alternative to gandhis is also not true i think yeah, leadership emerges out of, out of churning yes so exactly. so once they move away somebody else will come come up with this counter narrative 
and it'll make the party stronger but with I mean, gandhi the party is before yeah party uh, the party is just not moving with gandhi's so i yes. think uh, i think i mean gandhi's moscow i i think that vacuum that you're talking about the rush of the wind that occupies any vacuum is not internally being done by leadership but aap is maximizing it that is why aap is winning states that you know the yes. congress had a dominance in whether it's delhi which means that there is a demand for that counter narrative it just doesn't exist so people don't know who to vote for so the the point is if congress doesn't you know choke up then it won't be another version of the congress that will take it over another party may take over that space that's the danger right no two two uh, things need to be differentiated here one is the counter narrative part that uh, the congress system it it, it is uh, is old political entity with a system in place absorbing different sections uh, what rajnikothari called the congress system in uh, early 60s so that is a different thing means that counter narrative that count, uh, a kind of option with which still has a, around 10 crore votes nationwide in the last lok sabha polls they got 10 crore votes which um, even with uh, 50 odd seats is a substantial number but uh, gandhi family has a glue with the existing organizational muscle they have so with uh, the current organization there is no alternative leadership as of now on 24th march 2022 so we are talking of now that if the the leadership goes to states the pradesh congress committees now the only persons they are willing to somehow reluctantly even even don't reluctantly listen to our gandhis and no one else that's the reality so uh, the cultivation of second line of leadership may take maybe 10 years or 15 years but uh, yes if the place is vacated then also that only that possibility will arise but as of now with even with a very dented moral authority they are only persons who are willing to be uh who, who are uh, who workers are willing to listen in, in whatever in the states right escape and second is also that uh, the leadership itself in uh, is not betting a lot uh, means they are not willing to have frontal leadership like priyanka gandhi not uh, uh, sticking her neck out and getting uh, involved in direct electoral classes it was expected that she would be a candidate in 2019 lok sabha poll she didn't she led the campaign in up this year but didn't field herself as an mla candidate now they are not willing to get their fingers burned uh, in uh, in direct to uh, in direct electoral fights now that's uh, also a, a sign that uh, they would be in long run become a liability kind of uh, you know the leadership that gandhis have been providing right now the congress is just withering away i mean there will be no workers i mean you they have a couple of states right now i think uh, in another 5 years if the things remain like this they are going to lose those states too so i think gandhis are not effective anymore new new elections uh, new political times new realities will emerge so um, i mean we'll wind up all the issues i'll be going to the emails but before that uh, you know we can say goodbye to alpana 
so before you go, Alps, some recommendation for our listeners that could enrich their lives other than Kashmir Files. <laughs> well, as a, as a counter narrative to Kashmir Files, I'm going to recommend my own story. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm uh, <laughs> uh, doing that, but I think it's really important. This is a part of a fellowship that I did in 2008 uh, when I said I went back to Kashmir and Jammu to uh, explore identity politics. Uh, I think this gives the true and authentic picture of the relationship between the Kashmiri uh, Muslims and the Kashmiri Pandits. This story is a story about two friends and um, how they separated because the Kashmiri Pandit had to flee and the Kashmiri Muslim and his role uh, and the friendship that exists till today. Uh, it's a very emotional, a very uh, moving story. And it gives you a, a real humane glimpse uh, into the lives of the Kashmiri people as a whole and what their society was or could have been, uh, you know, and how different it is from the, uh, you know, what is shown in the, the absolutely lopsided, one-sided narrative uh, or black and white narrative of the Kashmir files. So I think News Laundry is going to carry that soon and I would recommend that. I would recommend that uh, listeners and readers uh, read that. So it'll be in the show notes below, the link to it. Thank you, Alpana. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, it, it's called, it's called um, Who Will Tell Them That This Land Belongs to Your Father When I Die? Um, and these are the words of the Kashmiri Pandit friend. So like I said, this is a story about friendship. And uh, I, I, I would recommend that. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Alpana. And uh, we shall now move on to the emails that all you wonderful subscribers write. Uh, just to give you a reminder that please... Subscribe and pay to keep news free. I had mentioned in the awful and awesome week before last that we saw sudden dip in subscription numbers in March. Uh, and I guess it was maybe because of election fatigue. Many of you said, okay, we election consume news now. We don't need to support news. Well, news needs to be supported through the year because uh, it is the only way that you get information that is of public service that is to you. So it is best it is funded by you. So go to newslaundry.com, click on the subscribe button. All you Mufat Khors who are listening to this for free because this particular hafta we are giving out for free and this one is not going to be behind the paywall. Doesn't mean there is no incentive for you to subscribe. There is other stuff and benefits you get. Check out our subscription page and understand what those are. But do subscribe. The link is in the show notes below. So this email is from Ashima. Abhiranath, for God's sake, millennials are 26 to 40 plus at this point. We know what Encyclopedia Britannica is and we had them when we were young. Shift your jokes to Gen Z and Zoomers. There's a generation called Zoomers? I said, Gen Z are all Zoomers. I didn't know that. Is it because of the Zoom that the the Zoom software? I don't know. Okay. Now, this uh, is an email from Aryan. He said not to read it out because it's a logistical issue. Uh, yes, Aryan, your email has been sent to our product department regarding the RSS feed, etc. And hopefully it shall be resolved soon. Sorry it's taken so long to resolve it. Then this email uh, is regarding by Aryan, maybe the same Aryan, a different one. He says, I was very frustrated at the false equivalence Sohasini brought up in criticizing the unilateral actions taken by Russia and the West. Yes, both actions are unilateral, but the Russian action was an unprovoked action which resulted in thousands dying. The West was simply reacting to the Russian action. Furthermore, the fact that we use the word West and not US alone shows how it was il indeed multilateral without using organizations. The fall of organizations like the UN is sad, but that does not mean the West shouldn't try to act in its own territorial interest. 
and the sanctions have actually been quite successful compared to other sanctions. As a side point, I have to commend Abhinandan for standing up to accusations of blaming the white man reaction too. Syria is far away from Europe, but physically and culturally, both physically and culturally, Ukraine borders the EU. To react differently if there's a bombing near your house versus in a far-flung place is completely justified. Now this email, uh, the person doesn't want to be named. They say, I watched the movie The Kashmir Files. It is an excellent propaganda movie, merely putting on screen what I had heard from my friends attending shakhas during my medical school days. The face of religious extremism and anti-India sentiment shown in the movie is not hard to believe either, as I have seen it firsthand among doctors employed at the Institute from Kashmir. I'm sure the truth is somewhere in between the two competing narratives, as it usually is. The fact that over one lakh people were driven away from their homes has been brought forward in the popular culture by a fascist regime is shameful for all those who call themselves liberal or secular. People in cinema and journalism who think they are on the right side of history should take this movie as a wake-up call and stop turning a blind eye towards extremism in the minority communities. By not talking about such issues, we concede space to those who later weaponize it for their own motives. Then another anonymous letter says, I noticed the Hindu Yuva Society, the RSS student wing abroad, of my grad school has organized free screenings of Kashmir files at a theatre outside campus. This is obviously much more expensive than regular film screenings at the school theatre. The Hindu Yuvas are also offering transportation to the theatre, much like news laundry reporters saw in Delhi NCR. Please reach out if you need uh, their flyer from my school. Interesting. Okay, we shall get in touch. This is an interesting report. Then Sagar says, An article recently published in News Laundry called the Karnataka verdict as upholding the hijab ban. Please stop spreading misinformation. The court order merely upheld the school's right to prescribe uniform that applies to all. So if this is a hijab ban, it should be also called dhoti ban or lungi ban. Sagar, I agree with you. In fact, funnily enough, I had <laughs> pointed this out on the hafta last week. That why is the headline saying hijab ban as the hijab has been banned across the state? Uh, I wasn't aware that we were using the same terminology in our own stories as well. So, yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. Then Rishikesh Jagtap says, I have been following News Laundry since it was free and requesting for voluntary subscription on PayPal. I was one of the supporters back then. That time when Madhu was mentioning that she wanted to follow a model of subscription-based journalism, I was thinking that to be a foolish idea for the Indian market. And News Laundry is going to die when you implement that model. I'm happy to be proven wrong and you have survived. I'm very thankful to all subscribers. I have purchased yearly Game Changer subscription for this, the first time to extend my support. Access to RSS link is great. Good job, you all. Love you, NL team and the subscriber community. Thank you so much, Rishikesh. Uh, you weren't the only one who thought this was a really bad idea. Uh, Raman sir also thought it was a bad idea, as did many others. But... <laughs> Thanks to you and thousands like you, we have survived. Spread the word because if this becomes a model for news, I think um, we can see at least one aspect uh, that doesn't depend too much on corporate funding, which is useful in today's day and age. And finally, Surya says, a very happy holy to you all. Love the election coverage. A quick feedback on how the Hafta episodes are listed on the website. Many Newsland subscribers consume Hafta while driving or performing other activities. It's super annoying when by mistake Chota Hafta starts playing and one has to stop driving or do stop another activity to change it to the full episode. To solve it, could you please filter the Hafta episode list API as per the status, full episode or Chota Hafta and show only the relevant result when a logged in paying sip. That, that's actually useful. But uh, Surya, uh, fine, uh, I shall forward uh, your mail to the product department. 
but one more thing i think our app is out uh, the android app is out i think the ios app should also be out and this function i think is there in that uh, do uh, check if the app is out if it's not it will be by in a week the android when i'm sure is out and tell me what your experience is on the app and that goes for all you subscribers let us know cuz you guys paid for that app by the way uh, so we can still tweak it and make it better as we go on now let's get the recommendations of the week uh, anand you want to go first yeah i'm recommending a novel that i recently read it's villainy it's called villainy by upmanyu chatterjee so he's uh, one of uh, the leading writers writing in english in india and uh, he's a bit of a recluse uh, not very visible in the literary landscape but uh, people still know him for what he wrote four decades ago that is his uh, debut novel a novel the english august so in this these times of uh, look at me authors when they go like a marketing magnet for promotions he's uh, an odd man out so has become somewhat invisible but uh, the sense of the particular means his ability to bring out the sense of a particular uh, situation or look or locale or or human condition with uh, a very humanist kind of humor is uh, without a rival and uh, you will uh, see some glimpses of it in his latest novel the villainy though, though it's not uh, the best of his work but still at this age he has uh, produced uh, a work which is far far better than the lesser works which are much talked about these days yes right thank you uh, raman sir i have three recommendations uh, the two articles uh, which appeared in uh, indian express uh, one is on kashmir listen to all those who suffered by archel magazine uh, she has heard you know stories of uh, you know she herself uh, being a pandit uh, she has heard these stories through uh, her parents who once used to live in uh, you know kashmir and she herself was very small when they left kashmir and she has made a very pertinent point that uh, the real issues which plague the pandits their resettlement and all they haven't been addressed through so better in this time of crisis when you are highlighting a picture so much you also address to the uh, to these issues and uh, second article uh, is by uh, uh, this is uh, i think the former deputy uh, chief minister of of bihar sushil kumar modi which appeared today mp quota for kendriya vidyalaya admissions must go i mean uh, if you uh, are aware of this that uh, last this week only i think this week or the last week uh, uh, the congress mp uh, you know had uh, made a plea uh, in uh, rajya sabha or lok sabha rajya sabha i think he said that either uh, you know they should increase the quota uh, you know of kendriya vidyalaya admission for an mp or they should abolish it altogether he he has made a very pertinent uh, again a very good uh, you know point that already uh, there are 8000 odd seats are reserved for these mps you know all put together mm. so i mean uh, I, and this this really uh, is uh, not good for the you know quality of uh, education yeah this is today to, today sushil kumar modi has put this yes yes it was a good uh, article and uh, the third is uh, you know Uh, there is a documentary uh, called limitless on uh, netflix so if nothing was working for you know these women they took to uh, running so it's very inspiring uh, limitless 
podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.